Look at this. We finally have snow. Yay. Yes, it's the first significant snowfall all winter long, and it's or it's the last day of February. Um, yeah, we you know new, this area, New York City, New Jersey area, broke a record a while back of the most number of days without any snowfall. And then a couple weeks ago, we had about a half inch of snow, which was not significant, but at least it was it stuck to the ground. So it it, it was you know you can't that the record of no snow falling at all was that was the end of that, but. Um, yeah, so this was uh, an overnight snowstorm, which dropped about, I'd say about four inches around here of wet, very wet snow, four or five inches of wet snow. And um, so, yeah, this morning I, I came out and did my shoveling. It was, I'm very out of shape. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I had to take a few breaks, but because it was very heavy because it was like slush, you know, you know, like some snow is very light and fluffy. This, this snow is very heavy and, and, and sort of waterlogged or whatever you want to say. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so, yeah, just uh, and, and, and then it, it, it's a bit warmer now. It's above freezing and it's been raining a little bit. So everywhere that I uh, that I did the uh, shoveling, it's, it's all completely. All, you know, whenever you shovel, there's always going to be a little bit of extra schmutz on there, a little bit of ice and snow. You can never get it all away. I suppose you could, but it would take 10 times as long. Why do it? Um, so, yeah. It looks kind of it's, it's it's pretty cool. So yeah, I mean it's good that it actually snowed. It feels kind of weird. I think they said by this point we're supposed to have like twenty five inches of snow, like overall, you know, like o- o- over the entire winter. But yeah, just a very strange weather pattern these days. But yeah, you know how everything happens at once, right? So it's sort of like so. This morning also was when we had scheduled our the, the clean. Uh, we have a new cleaning crew that come to our house and clean everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have, we have not had a cleaning, any kind of house cleaners of any of any sort for you. I don't even know the last time we had it. I don't even know if we ever had it. No, we did. We did have it. The last place I lived, we had it. We did have a cleaning crew come in a couple times. It is kind of stressful, you know, so I would always, I remember the, the last time, and then again, this was prior. I don't know what time period this was. 2017 or something I don't know but I would uh, I would escape I would it, it was usually on the weekends and I would I would go to the mall I would go up to the um, Garden State Plaza mall and just walk around while the cleaning crew was there because this was a much smaller place you know this was my old uh, condo so excuse me um, I uh, yeah so it was kind of it's gonna be kind of aggravating trying to find a place to sit or stand while they're doing all the cleaning um but yeah so uh it, it recommended by a neighbor and um you know we were really not quite ready you know how you have to clean before the cleaners come that whole that whole thing see there's 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 cleaning like things like literally there's things are dirty and then there's organization with the, like objects so just bunches of schmutz everywhere or uh, what was what was philip k dick's word for it kipple just papers and pens and objects that just sort of pile up everywhere. Yes. So, um, you know, we did mi- a minimal amount of effort to clean before the cleaning, but my overnight escape studio was just a complete disaster, and I just I, – I was meaning to do it. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do it in the morning. But then this morning I had to do all the snow shoveling. So I don't know. I, it was not done. It, it was a big mess, and 
So when they came, I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, I was trying to think if they should uh, maybe just do a little bit of the floor or whatever. But anyway, they wound up doing the whole thing. It was so embarrassing. I had just so much junk everywhere on every shelf, every everywhere, just a big mess. Shoes everywhere. I was, again, I was meaning to, to tidy it up a bit, but I ran out of time. But it's done now. I apologize to, to one of the cleaners. They're like, oh, it's my job. It's okay. It's <laughs> so embarrassing. The Overnight Scape Studio was a disaster. Listen, it happens, you know. I have theory. I have all these theories about disorganization and chaos, you know, that has to do with like like cosmic energies and stuff. Or listen, I know I know I can get very exotic about it, but if you're just you know, it's it's hard. You have to be super dedicated to like keep up with stuff, and it, it does seem counterintuitive, right? The messes. It seems counterintuitive. It seems like there has to be some sort of a way to. Um, keep things tidy and without things piling up. I mean, and I know everyone has tried, but even if you remember the Japanese woman Marie Kondo, remember her? She was uh, popular. She was one of these, she was like super famous for like about two months, maybe a few years ago. Right? She was the one who's like, does it spark joy? Trying to tell you how to keep your house from clutter and everything else. Remember that? The guru of how you could do it? How you can how you can defeat clutter, you know, right? She was in the news recently saying that she's given up. She's gonna let her house get messy now. Even Marie Kondo gave up on trying. It, it, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard, but it is. It's, I'm telling you, there's something else going on. There's something supernatural going on with with this this clutter and these messes, and it just it seems like. You know, my theory basically is that it's a manifestation of the energetic state of like a room, right? And my theory is that, you know, when you create something, you sort of have to spend this energy to create. And this energy, whatever it is, so you generate some yourself, but there's also some just naturally around you. So if you're creative, you'll use up your own creative energy and then you'll sort of suck it out of the room that you're in right and a room with less of this energy will manifest disorganization you see what i'm saying i think there's something to that and it's just a theory but i know i could just clean up my room and not have to worry about it but you know but these exotic theories could be true. Maybe it's not my fault. Maybe I'm not just a big a big mess. It's, maybe it's just uh, it's the, the cosmic energies of the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? I know I've had some thoughts about like what to do. Like uh, a lot of it stems from you have some objects at any time of the day, but there's times when you are. Um. So you have an object, like you have some stuff and you, you and you bring it into the room, but it's like in a bag or it's loose and you're like, you're already kind of drained and tired and, you know, um, so you just throw it anywhere. Or I'll, 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 I'll put it in its right place, you know, uh, later on. And, you know, and then you never do and it just keeps piling up. So couldn't you like acknowledge that by having like a box of some sort? for that kind of stuff you know what I'm saying uh, when, like I don't know if people design rooms you know they have shelves and drawers and 
cabinets and stuff, but like just to have this acknowledgement of the random stuff area, like we, I don't think we generally design in a ra- like the random stuff container, right? So, I don't know. I, of course, I could just make my own random stuff container, but oh, it's very. Fr- I, listen, it's part of the human condition. This whole clutter issue, okay? It's very annoying, but you know, it is. It, it it's just part of the human sphere of activity. That's all I gotta say. And also, like yesterday and today, um, you know, it's been this past week or so. But today, I've made a lot of progress on it. The 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 book cover for the next edition of the Overnightscape Underground book. I've been working real hard on it. And um, I've been making some great progress. I mean, to me, right, our project here is the Overnightscape Underground, and it's a radio station inside a book. So the book itself is is the thing, and, and the look of it is, is our quote-unquote brand, you know. Even though we're non-commercial, we're not a business, there's still a brand. There's still a visual identity and stuff. And the book really is it. And, um, you know, I had uh, used the previous book as the starting point. And um, the big change was changing the title from the Onsug to the Overnightscape Underground. And uh, I, I pretty much used the uh, previous Overnightscape Underground logo. Like, my idea is to, like, it, it, it's a sort of, um, what's the right way? to say it is is basically keeping elements from the past but then like merging them with new ideas right so I did that and then I decided to put a red outline uh, around it kind of like a radio station inside a book so like an like there's sort of another rectangle which sort of visually represents the book it's very subtle but and then I made the Overnight Skip Underground sort of exceed those boundaries slightly, going over the edge of that rectangle. Um, I re-added Weird Old Variety at the top um, and uh, made a new paragraph. I think I talked. I think I, I mentioned that last time. And I got it to the point where the layout was kind of working for me. And, um, you know, the book itself, still the same coloration with that city at night scene in the background and the, the yellow type. I have this yellow color which is um, uh, EDCD21. That's the hex value. It's kind of a kind of a darker yellow, kind of a gold color, and it's. Um, I, I used you know the, you know the hex value. Any every color on the computer can be defined by six characters, but each one has um, sixteen val- up to sixteen values. So the numbers and then A B C D E F, right. Uh, so, and if you work in computers, you know about the hex values. Use like a pound sign or the octothorpe, right? Is that what it's called? The octothorpe? And, um, you, uh, yeah, that's, so you define the color. And the red color I also defined as ED2223. So EDCD21 was ED represents me. My middle name is Edward. CD represents the world of sound, like a CD, a compact disc. And 21 was 2021 when I came up with the color. And then the red was uh, new, a new design direction in 2022 and 2023. So ED, that's me, 22-23. Uh, so, and this figures into the next phase. So I made the book cover, and I was kind of happy with it, but I don't know. It, it just didn't feel super exciting to me. 
So I, I did also try to um, just to see how it would look in different usages. I made a black and white version, which is just in Photoshop. You have a filter called black and white. And uh, I'm like, that looks pretty cool. That looks cool, really cool. And then I made like a, um, a, a one-bit one where it's every, every pixel is either black or white, which is kind of like the old photocopy look, right? And that, and that, that looked pretty cool. So because I made those um, and I was sort of living with them, looking at them over the course of days, and I, I'm like, I wonder if I – because I, I don't know. The coloration of just the colors in the book cover I had was just ever so slightly annoying me. So I took the black and white version. I'm like, how about overlaying like a color on there? How would that look? More like a monochrome look. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Why not make a gradient with the yellow and the red? Because there's uh, a design concept that I've thought about and kind of used a few times here and there, which I call the campfire, which is uh, the idea of a campfire, right? People sitting around a fire at night going back into ancient times as really kind of the uh, the origin of what we do here, kind of someone telling people telling stories, doing monologues, talking to each other, right? So the campfire is sort of, in a primal sense, the origin of the type of material we do here in audio, right? And by the way, if you want to see these covers, at, right now I've been posting them in the uh, the chat room on Discord, which you can find if you go to onsuck.com and look on the sideboard. Sidebar, that is. Um, so I made a version that was like a gradient. It was sort of like the... the uh, it was everything was sort of uh, I made the, the black and white version then I overlaid a gradient that, go, that, that goes from red to yellow to red to yellow kind of like at an angle you know and uh, I thought that looked really cool and it, and it definitely liked it a lot better I mean I still feel like it's, not, it's I still felt like a, somewhat unsure about it but I really liked it a lot better than the previous version so um in terms of production, I was trying to make a version that was a bit more production ready, you know, because what I had been doing was a bit of a sketch in a way. So I started working on it and uh, sort of trying to figure out all the different layers and levels. I wanted to do it in Illustrator, but it's like in terms of the color processing and stuff, I think I'm just going to try to do it in Photoshop and I can just make it as high res as I need. Everything's like vector, right? So anyway, I was playing around with it. And um, the one thing is, like, I had the, the black and white filter, right, kind of blows things out. It kind of um, increases the contrast. So I, I was noticing that the type was kind of the edges were kind of pixelated because of that. And I understood what happened. So I'm like, wait a minute. So I think that I should apply this black and white filter, which kind of blows things out, to the backgrounds, right, to the background imagery, which is a, of a city in Valparaiso, Chile. That's the image I always use. It's from the National Oceanographic and Aeronautics Administration, I think, one of those public domain federal government images. Anyway, but I'm like, then I'm going to um, bring all of the type elements right, and graphic elements um, in front of that and make, instead of being yellow, and then allowing the black and white filter to make them white. I'm just going to make them white so those can ride on top so they can be nice and smooth and sharp, right? 
so I made them all black and like white essentially. And then um, I, when I saw how that looked on top of the gradient background, I was like, whoa, this just happened. This just happened. I'm like, whoa, whoa, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I know at each stage I've been, uh, I'm thinking like, oh, wow, I made it. But this one looks good. It's, it's still early days, you know. It's just thinking about like something like this. It's just it takes a while to uh, you got to live with it and look at it and then be open to changes and just sort of it's almost like you're dancing with the design, you know, trying to trying to make it what it is. But anyway, uh, I'm, I I I don't know if this is gonna. Be, it, it looks really good to me. I don't know. So I've been I've been working on that. That's been a big thing. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting how. Right. It snowed and the cleaning crew came and then this breakthrough and the graphic design came. It all came at once, right? Which feels a bit like, uh, you know, novelty theory, the idea of like time wave zero. <laughs> what are these, these kids doing? They're sledding down into the street. Wow. Not too, that's not too safe. I guess they look both ways before they sled. I don't know. Anyway, um, right, the idea is that... Um, at any given moment, there's a level of novelty in the environment, and in, right, and that it goes like if there's higher novelty, things will change more. If there's lower novelty, things will change less, right? And the idea is that there's patterns. If you graph out, basically, it's just something going up and down. The amount of novelty in the environment, um, and it normally goes up and down, but the idea of time wave zero is that these patterns, there's pa specific patterns, like it goes up and up and up and then down, then up a little bit more, then down some more, then down, then up again, then all oh, way down, and it stays down for a while, then it goes up again, right? The shape of those patterns is fractal in the sense that the shape can pass by in a second, in a minute, in an hour, in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, in a century, in a millennium, over the course of 100,000 years, like these patterns are repeating, right? So I would say I just experienced a spike in novelty, right? And um, Terence McKenna, um, who was an author and lecturer, and he had a very distinctive voice. And people sample him a lot in uh, music, especially like Spangl, he, he, he talks a lot about the DMT experience. There's, it's this special drug people smoke, and then they go into this room and meet these weird elves and stuff. I never tried DMT, um, but apparently everyone has a similar experience. They, they meet what they call the machine elves, these weird intelligent beings. But the, everyone sort of meets the same beings when they take this particular drug. This is kind of interesting. Um, I think it's illegal. I have to imagine it's illegal. <laughs> you can't just go down to 7-Eleven and get DMT. Um, but anyway, he, he said he created a, a system which used the King Wen sequence from the I Ching, right? So this is another aspect. Let me go inside. It's freezing out here. <laughs> See, even though it's a few degrees above freezing, it's colloquially freezing. Hi, kitties. <laughs> they emerged. I was looking around for them. I couldn't find them anywhere. They have a... Uh, 
their own super special hiding places when uh, something like a, cl a cleaning crew happens. The cats are horrified, right, kitties? Kitties, it's okay. But yeah, um, you know, the I Ching. I space C-H-I-N-G. Some people pronounce it differently. I'm just going to call it I Ching. Yi Jing, I guess is another way to say it. But anyway, it's a it's a book. And, you know, I used to consult it all the time. I haven't consulted it a lot recently. But uh, it's a book from China from about 5,000 years ago, I think, which has almost sort of a digital computer kind of system with six-bit bytes known as hexagrams. And there's 64 of them. And they each hexagram describes sort of a... T it's called the Book of Changes, and each hexagram is a kind of change. So you might interpret this as similar to the periodic table of the elements. You know, you've seen that chart. Hydrogen, helium, whatever, all the different... All the different elements, right? Iron, molybdenum, and all those, all those fun things. And um, those are elements of matter. But the idea is that I Ching is, is representing elements of time or elements of change, right? And each one represents a different type of change, and that's how our reality works, is that right? there's a sequence of changes that happens. And, um, and so he used it, the, and then I, I guess it was a king of China named King Wen put the hexagrams in a particular sequence and no one can find any rhyme or reason to the actual sequence but I do think right there's hexagrams that are reversed and I think they are sort of mirrored in the sequence I haven't looked into this in a while but using the King, King Wen sequence Terence McKenna put together this uh, software which displayed the graph of novelty he then overlaid it over um historic events and he he was saying that it it matched up right but his his program on December 21st 2012 and this was all he's died a long time ago and this is all way before 2012 he his program it spiked to infinity right infinite change on that date that was supposed to be the end of the world on the Mayan calendar or the Aztec calendar or something. Remember all this stuff? I did a lot of recordings <laughs> on that day and around that week because uh, the world did not end, at least in this timeline, nor did we seem to achieve uh, maximum, uh, you know, infinite change. It was just another day, you know. But anyway, um, I, but I, I think like any theory or any idea, right, when we look at something like time wave zero, it predicted the world was going to end or change in a huge way on, in December of 2012, which, as far as we can tell, it did not. That doesn't mean the whole theory is wrong. I feel that any idea, any philosophy, any even any religion or anything... Um, I know religion is tricky because... right. If you're approaching it from the outside, yeah, you can you can pick it apart and take bits and pieces. But if you're in it, it's kind of all or nothing. But this is what I'm trying to say. This kind of thing should not be all or nothing. It shouldn't be black and white. It should be shades of gray, right? And I understand if you're in the religion, you're kind of 
shit out of luck. You got to either accept all of it or, uh, and I know there's different interpretations, or just reject all of it. But, for example, when it comes to religions like Christianity, which I am not a member of, and I have never been a member of, of any church or any religion, I can look at it and I don't have to completely accept it or completely reject it. I can uh, look at it and in toto, is that the right word? In toto? Is that, is that, is that a term? In toto? Looking at it to, in a total, total sense, um, I would not accept, I don't agree with, right? The entire package does not really uh, seem like something that's legitimate to me personally, but that doesn't mean that there's parts of it that aren't interesting and might be valuable, right? Um, so even with this time wave zero, I think the idea that there is this, this other thing going on in reality, which is that there is a, an aspect of novelty that has a level that's part of what we consider to be nature that drives events. That's not to say it's predetermining things. It's just that um, at times of high novelty, more things will happen, more things will change. Like there'll be a snowstorm and a cleaning crew will come and there'll be graphic design breakthroughs. And then at low levels, you know, you've had those days, maybe even a whole week where like nothing happens, you know. Um, which is why I think it, right, some people say the key to success is just to stick to right? <laughs> In other words, what are, what are all these words today? In toto, stick to yeah. Um, that, uh, that if you want to achieve something, you have to keep at it. So the idea is that if, if you want to do something like create a new book cover, um, I intend to create this new book cover, and I feel like it did feel like I'm applying a constant pressure. It's something I'm working on. But there's times where I feel like I can't make any progress. But as long as you keep pushing, once you hit those spikes of novelty, then you'll push through and get to another, the next level. You see what I'm saying? But whereas if you're not continuing, if you're not sticking to it, right, you'll miss out when those high novelty times that are more apt to um, produce results. This is all highly theoretical. It's a very theoretical day, okay? Everything's theoretical today, okay? The cats are very, like, they, like, they're very careful. They're looking around, and there's probably different smells of the cleaning, the cleaning products. Kitties, you all right? They're re, they're re-examining everything in the environment. They're trying to figure out what happened. Clean, it's clean. Everything's clean, kitties. All right, Vegas, Mojo, you okay? Everything is clean now. Very clean. Look at this. Cleanliness. Yes. They're still nervous, though. I know. It was a traumatic, kitties. I know. But, yeah. Here I am. I'm looking at it now. Wow. The new book cover. Wow. The white graphics over the black background with the uh, gradient, yellow to red gradient of the city at night. Yeah, that looks good. It it's it looks, yeah, it looks really good. (laughs) 
But then if I just drag this one folder down below the color layer, then we get to the one. It also looks nice. I like the way it looks with all of the, the gradients going on over all of the graphics, but um, what is it about? I mean, I really do like it. It just, ah, see, when I look at this, this looks good too, but then I make all the graphics white, and it's like, whoa, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, almost, it's giving me also kind of a little bit of a retro vibe, which I dig. Yeah, it just looks good. I don't know. I have to live with it. But this is a real breakthrough. Graphical breakthrough. Yeah, it just has that extra quality to it that just looks and feels right. And there's another new thing that just happened today. A new rule for Flea Devil Solitaire. My solitaire game that uh, I've been playing constantly, playtesting constantly, and there was a flurry of activity last year where I improved the rules significantly, and I've been playing that version ever since, and it's just been working perfectly. And uh, yesterday and today, and I think maybe it was the past couple of days, I started feeling like maybe there should be an additional rule. And I just came up with it today. It's called Antiques. Because Flea Devil Solitaire is... Um, Basically, it takes place at a flea market, and you're a flea devil. You're a person that's really good at going around a flea market, buying things, and then selling them to other people and buying more things, right? So not that that's even a thing, but, you know, sort of like a Tasmanian devil or a dust devil, you're a flea devil. I know some people may take the word devil the wrong way, but, you know, those holy rollers used to call a deck of playing cards the devil's picture book. You've heard all that, even to the point that, uh, you know, that card game Rook? I never played it, but I think you've seen Rook. It's essentially like a deck of cards, but without the face cards. They're just cards that have numbers on them. There's no aces. There's no kings, jacks, queens. It's just like 1 through 13 or something. Can they use 13? Isn't that like an evil number? I don't know. But anyway, that was for like religious groups to play card games, right? Interestingly, in Japan as well, they were against the standard deck of playing cards because it was an outside influence so that's where the Hanafuda cards came from they had pictures of flowers on them and that's how Nintendo got its start as, as a Hanafuda card maker I believe don't quote me on that but I think that's how they got started uh, anyway that's where the word devil kind of you know I know it's a bit provocative for some people but hey you know the thing is Flea Devil Solitaire is for everyone but that is the name of it Flea Devil Solitaire Anyway, and how antiques work is this, right? Um, it is, it is, and it's a way to get a little bit an additional score multiplier. Um, right, the way the game is played is you shuffle the deck, and there's three jokers that are called zonkers. So there's 55 cards, and uh, you're trying to clear the market, right? So if there's two cards of the same, like two fives or whatever, you can haul them and put them on the top, and that's then your bankroll. Then you can spend them to swap the position of any two adjacent cards. There's also flea hops. There's so much stuff going on. And then in the bottom of the deck is the easy go. That's where, you know, your money, easy come, easy go. When you spend money, you put it in the easy go. But the exception is royalties. Ace, uh, jacks, queens, kings, and aces can be royalties, which you put them face up in the back. You need a buffer of three before you start putting royalties in. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, 
And then those are the only things that count towards the score, right? So you do <coughs> the number of um, jacks, kings, and queens, and then multiply it by the number of aces. If you have no aces, you still multiply by one, right? That completely blew open this game and made it a thousand times better, right? So uh, the idea of antiques is if you use the walkie-talkie move, where essentially if you have a, a run of three, like four, five, six, I, I even allow the, uh, the loop around uh, ace-king two, no, king-ace two, because why not? No other game allows that. Well, I'm, th- I'm going to allow it. I'm going to allow king ace two. Um, if you have a run of three, you can uh, do walkie-talkie where the middle card of those three, right, you can teleport in its match. So if you have like seven, eight, nine, right, or nine, eight, seven, it can be forwards or backwards. The one in the middle, right, so seven, eight, nine, you sort of, I, I sort of lift up halfway up the the eight i find another eight and you know depending on if right there's going to be three other eights but maybe the other two have already been uh, hauled but anyway um you can then teleport in its match and then you can haul that or you or you can wait whatever you want to do the idea is that and again i this is still antiques is still in the works but the idea is that if you Walkie-talkie, uh, a non-royalty uh, card, pair of cards, which would be twos through tens, um, you can, once per game, you can make antiques, right? So the pair goes in as a royalty. So the pair of eights would then go in the easy go as a royalty, right? And um, that would then count. The pair counts as another ace, so you can now... Uh, have as many as five five ace multipliers, um, but the additional thing is because I've noticed playing the game so much, sometimes you get down to the very end, and if you just had one more card in your bankroll, you could um, you could have won the game. So the idea is that the antiques you can uh, grab one of the two, right, and uh, turn that face down on the easy go, and then you can. Hall, you, you, you can swap the position of two cards just like any any bargain. And um, so it has this multiple purpose, you know. Now, of course, what's the downside of antiques is that you don't have those $2 in your bankroll and it's going to make it harder to win the game, right? And a lot of times when you're doing walkie-talkie, you're spending way too much money anyway walkie-talking. But I think a lot of times walkie-talkie do, it is worth it, Um so this is a bit of a gamble, a bit of a risk, but in order to uh, to get a, a reward later. Um, so I really do like antiques as a uh, as a new rule, and I'm going to work on it and play on, play with it. I mean, I, I've been on a bit of a winning streak lately. I've had many losing streaks, but we'll see how antiques fits in. It's only through playtesting that I'll be able to determine if antiques uh, will go into the rules. But I think it does add something. I just want to make sure not to overcomplicate it. Antiques is a little complicated, but I think that uh, you know you can just do it once per game, and I do like it. It does fit into the overall system. So we'll see about antiques. 
Also yesterday, uh, I had to go to the garage to get my snow shovel, which I hadn't needed all winter so far, and also some of that road salt. I don't think I need that today, though. Um, I figured I'd start the process of finding my old equipment from the original Overnightscape studio in the early days of the Overnightscape. Uh, essential, and the most important equipment was my 55SH microphone, you know, the Elvis mic. It's a dynamic mic from Shure my uh, Behringer mixer, kind of a cheap mixer, and my MQ3, a Joe Meek uh, channel strip, right? And uh, so I found, I don't know where, I, I have to look around. I don't know where, the, I, did, I didn't find the microphone, but I know it's around. I think I may have it in the, in the studio. Um, so I found the, the units, but then what about the power cords for them, Right. So there's this uh, big plastic bin full of all my old wires and stuff. And um, you know how this happens. I think when I packed it in there, I tried to, every wire I tried to roll up on its own. I think I even used some of those little twisty ties to keep them individual, right? But somehow there's a bunch of wires in a container together. They're just going to get all tangled up with each other. How does it happen? I don't know. It just, it, it, it's, it's a whole other chaos theory. Uh, there was this mass of wires. Everything was tangled up. I couldn't even imagine how someone could even deliberately tangle a bunch of wires in that way. Um, but is it the case that the few times I've opened that up and rummaged around a bit, it caused some tangling? Or do the wires just over time get tangled together? I don't know. I'm sure there's been scientific inquiry into this. You could put a bunch of untangled wires in a box and then open it up, and if they're all tangled, then that's a phenomenon. Anyway, I it took forever to untangle. All I was caring about were sort of the power cords. You know, they call them wall wards, that black little box you plug in, and then it has the cord, and they all have different connectors at the other end. It was so bad, I had to struggle to find the 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 end that was the connector and sort of slowly tease it out through this mass nest of tangled wires and uh, the one for the um the mixer was bizarre it was almost like a din 8 cable but it had like four pins um that one i i'm pretty sure is the right one and then for the joe meek i found a ton of them that match up so i don't even know and it doesn't even say like the different watts or volts or, or amps or something. Oh, I don't even know. Um, but I, at least I started. I started that process of, of getting the old equipment together. I think it'd be cool. Uh, the idea is that, um, you know, the Overnightscape began in March of 2003. Uh, Thursday, March 13th, um, 2003. And March 15th was also the, the date in 2020 when the pandemic started. That's weird. Um, I did my first test episode. A week later, on the 20th, I did my next test episode. And a week after that, on the 27th, I did the first actual episode of The Overnight Escape. So that's my goal. I'm going to get the old equipment together. And then this time around, it, those days fall on a Monday. So Monday, Monday nights, I'm going to do a show using the old equipment to sort of recreate the origin of the show 20 years later. This, of course, is all predicated on the theory that perhaps the equipment still works. We'll have to see. But hopefully it will.
I have a few weeks left before I need to do that. So actually, it's coming up pretty quick. Two weeks, less than two weeks. In less than two weeks, I'm going to start this process. Wow. Yeah, hopefully it'll all work. I'll figure something out no matter what. Oh, of course, and of course the Mad Player is another piece of equipment that is very important, yes, in the whole thing. And I think I know where my Mad... I have a couple of Mad Players. I think I know where they are. I'm going to get it all going. Anyway, um, I got an ad on my phone some in one of the streams or news feeds or whatever for a new product. I don't know if it's a new product, but it's new to me, called Laundry Sauce. It's sauce for your laundry. And uh, I, I like that phrase, laundry sauce. It, it, it was little, you, you know, they have, um, I still use liquid laundry detergent and you just pour it in that little hopper and you do, the, you do your laundry. But I know they also have those little plastic uh, single serve containers that you just throw in there, right? I, my dish my dishwashing pods are like that. So we're talking about like uh, laundry pods, right? So that's what these are. These are pods. It says, stop smelling synthetic and start smelling like sophistication. Bold, soulful fragrances and simple-to-use premium pods. So this is laundry sauce. I don't know. Their logo is a bit weak. They use those A's without the middle bar. I think they, I th- I think they need a rebrand on the, on the logo, but that's a whole other thing. Oh, here's a video about laundry sauce. Let's see. I want laundry sauce. But it's horribly expensive, as you might. Whenever you get, I get ads for everything I get ads for is so expensive. If you're expensive. okay Ooh. with being bland and boring, then keep using your generic laundry detergent. But if you're ready to level up, you need laundry sauce. The world's best smelling luxury laundry pods. Because life is all about choices. Mediocre or outstandioker. Bland, boring goop that leaves you smelling like clean waves. Or bold, long-lasting scents like... Siberian pine. Australian sandalwood. It's cologne for your clothes. Tonic for your towels. <sighs> A turn on. When you turn in. Click the link to smell for yourself. Scintillating scents aren't the only thing these pods are packing. Unlike our watered-down competitors, Laundry Sauce is made with an ultra-concentrated formula and science-backed stain-fighting power. All delivered right to your door. When you suds your duds with Laundry Sauce, you're not just leveling up your laundry. You're leveling up your life. Like upgrading your tickets. Yeah, I love Laura Jones. Cranking the AC on a hot day. Getting delivery instead of takeout. And always ordering the extra guac. If you're ready to see the world through sauce-colored glasses, go to LaundrySauce.com and join the society today. Laundry Sauce, the champagne of the laundry room. I have a feeling this product is not going to – I don't think this product is going to last. I see so many things like this, and like two months later, it's like, oh, sorry, we went out of business. I don't know. It's kind of a cool idea, though. Oh, bear fight, so click the link. Bear with us. Click the link. What? Bear with us. Real bear fight. So click. Laundry can be a real bear fight. So click the link. Bear with us. Click the link. (laughs) But then, of course, you get to the uh, sticker shock. Six. They they sell them in sets of sixty-nine. 
69 little laundry pods for $69. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, no, no. I wish they would just sell like a, a sample pack or something. I don't want to spend $70 on this crap. I just want a few pods. I want to just try it out. I just want to review it, you know. What do they have? Australian sandalwood, Egyptian rose, Indonesian patchouli, and Siberian pine. Hmm. What are these? What, what are they listing all these other flavors? Crisp bergamot, cedarwood, Alaska, eucalyptus, wood leather, amber. Oh, I think that's what this smells like, right? Hmm. This is very confusing. Siberian pine smells like effervescent ginger? No. Juniper, Siberian pine, French lavender, orange flower. No, it is. That is the, what they're putting in there, I guess. I don't know. This is getting too confusing. <laughs> it's getting too confusing. Here, here's a, one of the top reviews. Unfortunately, it's really fucking good. I wanted so badly to dislike this product. Unfortunately, I really love these pods. I probably can't go without them again. It's true. It's expensive. Yeah, a bit. But I don't mind spending a few extra bucks on quality over quantity. All right, let me go and see how, how much those laundry pods cost normally, right? Laundry pods to see how much more expensive this sauce is. Okay, all right, Tide Pods, okay? Okay, all right, let's just, this is, uh, this is the number one result on Amazon, okay? 112 for $27, okay? That's a big difference, right? That's almost, I mean, I can't, I, I have to do the math. Here's another one, Arm & Hammer, Laundry pods, fifty-eight for nine ninety-nine. Okay, so fifty-eight—that's almost. Think about this: you're spending ten dollars instead of seventy dollars, and you're getting almost the same thing. So we're talking about a product that's what seven, at least seven times more expensive. I cannot justify that personally. I cannot. I mean, that that is like, and there's so many products that they just. They have an, a sort of an interesting angle, and then you look at the you look at the price tag, and it's like, what the f are these people thinking? You know, here's another one: 112 for 27 dollars, 81 for 18. Whatever the the, the the math is here, it's it's yeah. So, whereas I think laundry sauce is uh you know I don't know, and they also have dryer sheets as well that I'm sure are. <laughs> Rather expensive, but it's... Oh, here's another video. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Yeah, that smells good. How a man should smell. We're taking our premium laundry pods to the streets to figure out which detergent smells best. First up, the generic detergent. It smells cheap. It smells... Okay, yeah, it's cheap, but it's... Yeah, yeah. Great. Anyways, I'm not going to have... I'm not going to buy laundry sauce, even though it looked kind of interesting, but... You know, if they ever do like a sample, maybe I'll try a sample here and there, but no. No! $70 indeed.
Get out of here. Anyway, um, I have another a new product here to review. This is something that uh, looks pretty interesting. This is uh, Lenny and Larry's The Complete Cookified Bar. Cookified? It's, it's, a, it's a bar that's been cookified, <laughs> like an energy bar or a whatever. The Complete Cookified Bar. Now, of course, Lenny and Larry's The Complete Cookie is, has been sort of a staple like uh, at all the Dwayne Reeds and stuff. Um, and it's this cookie that's vegan. It's a vegan cookie, but it also it has like protein in it. It's, it's like sort of like the perfect food. And somehow these, these guys, Lenny and Larry, came up with this concept of like the perfect cookie. You know, and I mean, I've had it from time to time. It's it's an okay thing to eat. It's if you have there's nothing else. If you're vegan, you always can get this complete cookie. But now, what about the cookie-fied bars here? This is a whole new thing. Do they have like a? Uh, do they have like a anything written up about this? Uh, the complete cookie-fied bar registered trademark is a convenient source of plant-based proteins in a soft chewy bar packed with crunchy cookie bits yes our complete cookified bar is small but it's mighty this bar has 12 grams of plant-based protein and 5 grams of fiber packed into a 45 gram bar we are confident that our bar will satisfy your big snack attacks and sweet cravings then we then we have the flavors this one is the cookies and cream flavors a soft Chewy, rich chocolate bar filled with sweet white chips and our signature cookie pieces. It's the perfect balance between rich chocolate and sweet, creamy flavor. <laughs> oh, wow, you get nine for $17. That's not too bad. Um, there is also the peanut butter chocolate chip. It's a soft, chewy peanut butter bar filled with semi-sweet chocolate chips, chopped peanuts, and our signature cookie pieces. It's everyone's favorite combination of peanut butter and sweet chocolate. And the third flavor is chocolate almond sea salt. It is a soft, chewy chocolate bar filled with semi-sweet chocolate chips, chopped almond, sea salt, and our signature cookie pieces. It has a perfect balance between rich chocolate and sweet nuttiness that finishes with a hint of sea salt. All right, maybe I'll try that one. I have all three here. I just have one of each. But it's manufactured in a facility that also processes peanut, tree nut, soy, milk, and egg. So there could be slight egg particles in here. I, I, I guess it's all right. Store it in a cool, dry place. No, I'm going to store it in a hot, wet place. Okay? Please store it in a cool, dry place. Yeah, let's try this out. This is the chocolate almond sea salt flavor. Let's check it out here. It's kind of a smaller bar, smaller than like a, a Cliff Bar or something. I haven't had a Cliff Bar in ages. Those aren't vegan, by the way. All right. So, kitty, this is not for cats. Cats cannot eat Lenny and Larry's complete cookie-fied bar. Yeah, it's 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 kind of small but it's uh yeah it's sort of uh almost looks like a brownie of some sort it's a solid mass it almost looks like a monolith with all the cookie pieces and stuff in there in kind of a brown 
yeah, brownie-ish kind of thing. Let's try it out here. Mm. Oh wow, it's very, it's like very dense. It's like nutrient dense. Mm. That's not bad. This is definitely, uh, I can definitely see this as, as, as a good like um, compact treat. Mmm. It's not, it's pretty good. I mean, just like the cookies, it, it's a little bit on the dry side, but I don't know, I dig it. I would get this again. Mmm. Now, if only Lenny and Larry can make, make laundry pods, that'd be great. I don't think they're going to branch out that far, though. I don't think you want your laundry smelling like cookies, you know. That's not really the, you know, that's not really a good smell for laundry. Your bed sheets smell like cookies. No. I like it, though. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was a pretty good bar. Um, anyway, in other food news, Starbucks has introduced a new kind of coffee. Now, you know, Starbucks has had, uh, you know, various offerings over the years. I always go back to the Shantico um, long-ass time ago. What was that, like 2005 or something, 2007? It was this tiny cup of super concentrated hot chocolate. And you drank this thing, and you would get lightheaded from, like, a sugar rush. It was insane. It didn't last very long. Um, but I loved it. I loved Shantico, and I wish they would bring that back. But now they have a new kind of concept called olive oil coffee, right? So their concept now is to put a, a, tea, a tablespoon of olive oil in a, in a coffee drink, right? Let me just read a little bit of this article here. Starbucks wants you to give olive oil coffee a shot. Really? The coffee chain is rolling out a new line of beverages made with extra virgin olive oil. To be clear, the drinks are not simply flavored with olive oil, nor do they have just a hint of it. Each one is truly made with a spoonful of oil, adding 120 calories to the total. With some drinks, you can see a slippery sheen of oil in the cup, and you don't even have to squint. Three olive oil beverages are available for sale at Starbucks cafes in Italy starting this week. Great. Every time I hear about a new product, I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Oh, it's only available in Italy. You know, everything's, why is everything, I want to try this. Each includes Oleato, Starbucks word for the new line in its name. So Oleato, O-L-E-A-T-O, Oleato. There's an Oleato latte with oat milk and olive oil, an Oleato ice shaken espresso with oat milk, hazelnut flavor and olive oil, and the Oleato golden foam brew, made with a version of Starbucks sweet milk foam infused with two olive oil servings. That's a double dose. Versions of these drinks will arrive in Southern California this spring. Again, I'm in Jersey. I can't... What? With more details about the U.S. launch to come. They'll roll out in other markets in the UK, Middle East, and Japan this year. But no, they're not no mention of New Jersey or New York. Anyway, it's one of the biggest launches we've had in decades. Uh, Brady Brewer, Starbucks chief marketing officer. Listen, these people with these fake names, okay? How did a guy whose last name is Brewer 
which is like brewing coffee, become the chief marketing officer at Starbucks. It sounds like this is all fictional. It's like a fake name. Hi, I am the Starbucks uh, chief marketing officer. My name is Brady Brewer. Is it really? Like, isn't the president of Nintendo in the U.S.? Ooh, another mention of Nintendo. Wow, synchronicity. His name is Bowser. The same, his last name is Bowser, the same name as the, uh, the villain in the Mario games. The evil turtle man, Bowser. Of course it is. You know, and we're supposed to believe this world is real? <laughs> Get out of here. So I don't know. I like the idea. I, I do like the idea. I think th- there's something else in this article they're talking about. Yeah. So Schultz, he's the guy that is the uh, current. I don't know. There's this whole thing with Starbucks. and he, he was the CEO, then he left, and he's back. Last year, Schultz met olive oil producer Tommaso Asaro, who introduced him to the practice of consuming a tablespoon, a tablespoon of olive oil each day. Schultz learned more about the practice this summer while visiting Sicily. Then he picked up the habit himself. He wondered if he could combine it with his daily coffee routine. So, I've, I mean, I've heard of this, that it's, it, it's good to drink a shot of, uh, I guess, a tablespoon. Maybe I should have some, some olive oil right now. It's giving me... Unfortunately, I don't have very good... I have uh, the Whole Foods brand extra virgin olive oil, which I'm assuming is okay. I mean, like, I would rather just drink a shot of olive oil, I think, than ha- have it in their, like, disgusting coffee. Listen, I have not gone to Starbucks in, in years. I am not a fan of Starbucks. All right, so should how, how should I drink this? Put it in, like, a little shot glass or just, I don't know. Maybe do, like, a shot. How, how, how do you drink it? Let me see how, if it's good. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is good olive oil, but anyway. Let's see. They say it's extra virgin. I'm going to try it out here. I mean, I guess I could put it in some coffee myself, but I don't really feel like it. I'm going to put it in a shot glass. No, olive oil is not for kitties. No. You can't, no, you can't have olive oil, kitty. You don't want it. No. I'm going to have a shot. This, this story is making me want olive oil. All right, I have a little glass of olive oil here. So if it's good for you, just drink it. You don't have to put it in coffee. Mmm, this smells pretty good, though. So just drink a shot of olive oil, right? What do they say? It's 120 calories. It has a lovely green-yellow color. It's not like drinking raw eggs. It's just, right? It's, it's a nice product. Let me try it out here. I'm going to do like Schultz does and Brewer. <laughs> His name is Brewer. Get out of here. Right, here we go. Down the hatch, as they say. Mmm. Mm. Tasty. Not bad. There's a slight bitter edge to it, but... So I guess they say that's good for you, right? <coughs> ah. It is kind of irritating on the throat. You had to wash it down with some water or something? How, how does this work? Let me see. <laughs> you need a chaser. It's fine. It's fine. Is it supposed to be healthy? I think so. Anyway, 
So God only knows when it's going to be available in my home state of New Jersey here. God only knows. I'll try it out, I guess, when it comes here. But olive oil coffee, the next phase of the coffee land of Starbucks. In other news, it looks like De La Soul's catalog will finally be on streaming this Friday, so just three days from now. It's been a long time coming. Uh, they are my fa- one of my favorite groups. In fact, that one of their records is one of my favorite records ever, De La Soul is Dead from 91. But those first three records, uh, Three Feet High and Rising, De La Soul is Dead, and Balloon Mind State that they did with Prince Paul, uh, are absolutely incredible, and um, due to all sorts of factors, they've never been on streaming, but Friday they will. Unfortunately, one of their members, Dave, formerly known as Trugoy the Dove, passed away uh, earlier this month, and um, so to honor him, they're going to be putting on this show tonight called The Daisy Experience at Webster Hall. Oh, wait. Oh, it's on Thursday, not today. <laughs> Sorry, I was so confused. On Thursday, they're doing it. And there's a lottery to get tickets, or you can just watch it online. So I'm going to watch it online. But, um, yeah, they're only giving away 333 tickets. What is that, half of 666? Apparently, there's there's a new song by that band Gorillas that Trugoy sang on called uh, Crocodillas. Is, is this song available? I mean, what what is this, uh, Crocodillas? What is this? I haven't heard this song yet. I really, you know, I don't like gorillas because I just don't like the cartoon characters with like the blanked out eyes. They just creep me out. You know what I mean? I never, I would never like gorillas. They just, just the cartoon characters annoy the hell out of me. Even if the music is good, I don't know. You know, like that guy with blue hair and his eyes are all white. That's creepy as hell. Ooh, that's true, boy. Your four corners parade in seduction. Ready for near, boy. Step to the rear. I'm gonna play the chairman and step to the chair. It's the darling of it all. Carving on the wall. Tag the A train to Altamira. I mean, it sounds good, but it sounds good because of De La Soul, not because of gorillas, you know. Life is intoxicating. I need a beer. Witness the master. I see. Got the hammer on cock. The don't ain't stopping, so the rocking don't stop. Rain hasn't fallen, so the farmers won't. Yes. Their new album, Cracker Island. Is it even out yet? It's so annoying when, like, at the point when you hear about something and you're excited about it, then you go to listen to it. Oh, it won't be out for two months. And then you just lose interest and you never listen to it. You notice how that happens? I do. It's like, why don't they hype something when it's available? I know they're trying to create this buzz or whatever, but I don't know. Maybe it's out already? Let's see. Cracker Island Deluxe. Why does it have to be two different versions? Oh, come on. Oh, it's out. Okay. I could listen to this whole Gorillas. It came out February 27th. Oh, yesterday. Okay. But wait, then there's the normal. Why would I listen to the normal version if it's on streaming? Oh, the normal version doesn't doesn't have the Trugoy track, but you need... What the hell is up with this deluxe version? I understand. I don't. I don't understand why they would make different versions of it. You know, well, for thirty dollars you get the regular version, and for ninety dollars you get the deluxe edition. I know they're just trying to make more money. What about the old days when they used to release something, and it was like, here's an album. I just released it. It's a record, and buy it or not, don't buy it. Whatever you want. There's not different versions of it. 
Why is everyone making everything so complicated these days? It's just be one record of each record. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. All right, maybe I'll listen to this. I don't know. It's Damon Albarn from Blur. You know, the guy who's like, I got my head checked by a jumbo jet. It wasn't easy, but nothing it is. Woo-hoo! You know that song, song two? Yes. That's a good song. Let's hear a little bit of that, shall we? I know it's sad these people get like it's a natural person that has a whole life but they're all you think about is that one song that's you know you know this song this is like the high point of of this guy's career you know sounds rather painful to get your head checked by a jumbo jet checked like hit you know this song right why didn't he stick with this band? Why does he have a why did he have to become a cartoon? I don't want to play too much of the song it's copyrighted, but You get the idea. It's only a two minute long song, you know. But now we have the the gorillas and uh, their horrible eyes. The gorillas' eyes, they don't look right. Didn't they do that thing at, like, some award shows where they merge in the cartoons with, like, the real people to make it look like it's a band? Yeah, two of the members have white eyes, and the other ones look kind of normal. I don't know. They're very unpleasant characters. Cracker Island. Let's see how Cracker Island like starts off. Come on. On Cracker Island, it was born. Okay, great. But they have all these. It's one of these things where every track they ha- they have like they're collaborating with other musicians. And you know, I, I, I if they're such good musicians, why don't they do their own music? This song contains Hunt Thundercat. The next song featuring Stevie Nicks. She's a good one to get. She's from Fleetwood Mac. Another one with Adele Omotayo. I don't know that one. And Tame Impala. I've heard of them. And Booty Brown. I don't know Booty Brown. Bad Bunny. I mean, I've heard of Bad Bunny. Beck, the Scientologist music man. Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Jeez. MC Bin Laden. Is that a good, is that a good MC name? Bin Laden? Uh, De La Soul and Dawn Penn. Again, who is Dawn Penn? Another one with Adele Omotayo and uh, another one with Booty Brown and Tame Impala. I don't know. <clears throat> this is a good song. To the collective of the it sounds bad already. I'm sorry. It just sounds bad. So it's the cartoon singing at this point? Stop, stop. Oh, my God. I'm not digging it. I don't like it. In other music news, this is actually really cool. You know how um, I have the other side of the overnightscape, right? So the, the concept is 
The first side of the overnight escape is me talking like this, and then the other side is a collection of uh, songs and found audio pieces that I that I um, sequenced together. And uh, I've been doing this now for over ten years, right? And it's become kind of like this creative work of its own because I basically play the other side, but I don't usually really comment on it. It sort of stands on its own. And it's uh, – I really enjoy working on it. Sometimes I'll spend hours on a weekend day just making new ones. I actually made new ones the other day. Um, my process is always um, – it, I mean, it can vary, but in general, I have my whole library of everything I've played on the other side ever, and I can just – that's in a playlist, and I can draw from that, but I include at least one new piece in every single other side. Um, and I will go randomly through the old files, and sometimes I'll think of themes, maybe – I'll see some things that are around the same time, like what songs are two minutes and 32 seconds, and some of those I'll put in there. It's always a different kind of vibe and a different kind of challenge. But I'm always looking to create this listening experience of this kind of just weird late-night vibe of uh, all these things. And, of course, the music needs to be you know, under Creative Commons license in general or public domain. Um, the audio clips, they can be old commercials and so many things, so many, so many sources. You know, I've been doing again. It started in January 2013, so it's been over 10 years now. The other side, and uh, you know, the world of Creative Commons music—that is, musicians that release their music under Creative Commons—was um, a really big thing a number of years ago. And it seems like a lot of musicians have kind of don't even a lot of newer, younger musicians probably don't even know or care about Creative Commons anymore. But if you want to look at the letter of the law if you have a podcast technically speaking if it's a commercial music like I, yes i was playing some clips of songs but i'm doing that under the fair use clause that is i'm talking about them so i'm playing a few seconds of them i feel that is fair use all of these things are very vague there are a lot of gray areas but i feel that the point of the fair use clause is that right you can play a bit of it uh, if it's in the context of a discussion, perhaps that same bit, if you were just using it for its pure entertainment value, would not be allowed, such as using it in sampling and stuff. Um, so this Creative Commons license allows musicians to retain copyright control over their work, but also give permission uh, for their work to be used in certain ways. For example, non-commercially, which this is a non-commercial show, so we can, anything that's non-commercial we can play on here. Um, so, as you might imagine, I've played songs by hundreds, if not thousands, of different Creative Commons artists on the other side, and I do, you know, I, I repeat them from time to time. And one of the musicians that I've played is uh, his name is Charles Rice Goff III, and he has a, a record label called Taped Rugs, right? Um, T-A-P-E-D space R-U-G-S, taped rugs. But if you sort of shifted that D over and attached it to the word rugs, it would be tape drugs. So I asked him once, because I did email back and forth with him a few times, and uh, he, he, I asked him about the tape drugs thing, because I said I had something called uh, 
Obliviana Wander Radio, the magical audio drug. That was one of my early audio experiments. I, so I was also talking about audio drugs or tape drugs, and he 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 declined to to uh, enlighten me further on that matter. Um, but he has a bunch of stuff on the Internet Archive, and I've played a few things, and I think Shambles has also played his stuff on Shambles' various collected pieces. And uh, so I got an email from Charles the other day saying that uh, he has a record out, an actual vinyl album, of which is only going to be 30 copies. And would I like to grab one? And I, I went on Bandcamp, and there were only three left, so I bought a copy of his record. Um, called Heartbreaking Randomness. Uh, it's a limited edition 12-inch vinyl. And it just came in the mail from this... Uh, what's the record company here? <clears throat> um, Herbie Records out of, I think, Buda, Texas. And as he said, these records, these the actual packaging is is created by hand. It's like... It's not printed. It's like actually like pasted up, right? There's actually it's 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 like this 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 like work of art. It's like something from the '80s or something. You take a look at this thing. It's like all these different things that are like glued on top of this this like thing. This is very cool. It does feel like a, like an '80s kind of thing. Yeah. So it says yeah. You can feel all these things like stickers and hand drawn stuff. There's a little fish with a googly eye on it. This is very cool. Charles Reiskoff III, Heartbreaking Randomness. Yeah. And it's like white printing on black paper. Look at that. That is wild. And on the back, it's... um. Let me see. It has like a whole printout that was stuck there, pictures of birds and the tapes... Rugs logo, the Herbie Records logo, even like a some sort of colored chips, elephant gray, crucible, hematite. Heartbreaking Randomness by Charles Reiskoff the Third. Using one of those random fonts where every letter is from a different font. Side A has the last. Oh, sorry, side A is the least is part of all. Late here, surface tension, diddly squat jackpot. Lena still. Lurks hereabouts in the stars. And side B, the uniforms will all be stained. Chop, chop, flip, flop. Not enough pixels on my screen. Sensing king, hearts, butter, others, parsnips, and helifote. Wow. The following were used in the creation of this audio collection. Computer OS, Windows XP, and Windows 10. Wow, he's a Windows XP user. Nice. I stuck with XP as long as I could. There's a software, instrumentation, and uh, so what he said was the uh, the record was put together by. What's, let me see. He has his name here. <clears throat> Where is it? I just had it open. The heck. Um. The the artwork was produced by artist Justin Jackley of Herbie Records in Texas, primarily as an outfit and as an outlet for him to create the cover art and a lot of cut and paste bits. So this is very cool. Let me look at the record itself. 
Yeah, this feels like something from, from, an other, from another age, another time. Oh, wow, there's more stuff inside here. All sorts of heartbreaking randomness. Oh, wow, the, uh, the lyrics. It, it, and it, it's like in a three-ring binder kind of thing. All the lyrics. Wow. Look at this. Oh, and another thing here, yeah. Oh, the same thing, just printed out in a, in a neater font. And on the back is some, some cool artwork. I don't know if that's hand-drawn or printed out. I'm not sure. I think it's... I can't tell. Anyway, here's the actual record itself. Vinyl record. I do have a record player, but... I think we're just going to lis- listen to a few clips of this on, uh, on Bandcamp. Yeah, there's even a label on there. Look at this. Taped rugs. This guy's got a whole thing going on. This is quite a package. Uh, only 30 copies exist, and I have one of them. Yay. See, I, I used to do stuff like this back in the, uh, the 80s with my uh, Half Evil Graphics and my right, Nomadi Productions. It was uh, you know all the photocopied mini-comics. This is kind of reminding me of that. <clears throat> Let me put this all back together here. I will listen to this on the record player, but I'm going to be lazy and just listen to it on Bandcamp for now. You can listen to it. You can get this on Bandcamp as well. I don't know if there's any copies of the record left. Ah, come on. The plastic wrap is like crunk- crunkling. It's crump- crumpling up. <clears throat> but I feel like, you know, here's one of those. I always say, like, who are these people? I play their music, but you never know who they are. They're like these random musicians from around the world. And, you know, like, you feel like you'll never know, you'll never know anything about them. But it's cool to actually have contact with one of those artists. And uh, Herbie Records also put in a CD called Psych 9 and Herbie Records, Disco Promotional para Distribución Solo in Guatemala. So this is only for distribution in Guatemala. It's like a, uh, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like psychedelic music, man. <laughs> I'll have to check this out. I do have an external drive I can rip it on. So, yeah. Cool stuff. Let's, let's see what is going on here, if we can find this thing here. Um, yeah, here it is. Wait, it's, it's, oh, maybe there were four remaining, and now there's three remaining. Okay, right, yeah. I think I, I got it when there was only, yes. Did I say that? Yes. Yes, there were four, and now there's three. What, no one else has bought the remaining three? Well, one of you should buy it. Go on. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get a little taste of, uh, of the music here. I'm being lazy. I could put it on my record player, but let's just do it this way. Let's see what's going on here. Released February 14th, 2023. Look at that. This song is the least part of all. The least is part of all. Let's just, let's just get a sampling of the record. Let's go down to the next the next one. This is uh, late here. How do you even like get a record made? You just send audio files to a company and they make a record? Remember Bob and Doug McKenzie? How do they even make records? 
How, where, where does that black stuff come from? From like other records, eh? <laughs> Remember that skit? I should try to find that. They were wondering the same thing. How do you make, what's that black stuff they make records out of? Third song, Surface Tension. I think he's I think he said he is gonna be putting it out on the Internet Archive, hopefully under a Creative Commons license. We'll see. Nice. Next song is Diddly Squat Jackpot. It also reminds me of when I was doing my, like my little Frankie Nora music and sending out cassettes to people. This one's sounding pretty good. Diddly Squat Jackpot. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to uh, explore this more. Listen, li- listen to more of uh, Charles Rice Goff the Third. And uh, but I thought it was very cool. Someone from the other side that I it's music I play. I actually have one of their records now. It's pretty cool. Let me see if I can find that Great White North thing. That is making the My idea. All right. All right, here. I think this is the section, hopefully. Such a great album. Okay, I think we need two more beers and then we'll have it. We need four more beers. Don't drink anything out of that beer, though. Take off. So that's a good game to play with beer bottles. Especially if you're, like, loaded and... Listen to the album. No one's there or someone real dumb is there. Okay. So coming up later on the album uh, is our hit single, which, uh, well, it it wasn't like our idea well i mean it was our well the idea of the whole album was our lawyers eh and because like he told us that he could pay us uh 10 bucks each right so we're not morons yeah and uh like he must have put up like at least another 10 for what to make the albums why well like where did they make them eh? doesn't it cost money he said he was making them at his place oh you figured then it was like free for him, yeah. There's... Where do they get that black stuff that makes the album? <laughs> From old albums. <laughs> See, they take an old album and, and, like, put new people on it? Yeah. <laughs> well, they erase it, right? Do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, we got hoes. We could have done that ourselves, eh? No. Why not? I don't know how. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Pretty 
you good, eh? Give me a smoke. Next, number two. And now here, of course, is G Getty Lee from Rush. Okay, no, be real nice to him, eh? Okay, okay. <laughs> this is uh, the hit single section of our album, Good Day. Good Day. Uh, Getty Lee is here from Rush. Uh, hi, Getty. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, Getty? Oh, it's going pretty good. Good day, eh? Good day. Good day. <laughs> Uh, thanks for coming down to see Getty Lee's a good sport. You know, he he's on this and then his bandmate Alex Lifeson was on uh, Trailer Park Boys. See, they they have a good sense of humor. Did do our hit. Well, it's my pleasure. Did did our lawyer call you? Yeah. I'm um, uh, you know, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. <laughs> uh, we were uh, I hope you don't mind, but there is a photographer that's going to be taking pictures of us together to prove that you are here doing yeah. uh, the record. In case people come, don't believe us. Yeah, how come he's not wearing a toque? Oh, he's not from the Great White North. Yeah. Okay, so if you'd like to uh, put on uh, a toque and some headphones, we can uh, do the hit single now. Sure. Okay. I, that'd be great. Do you, you have the lyric sheet? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I memorized them. Oh, great. Beauty. How, okay. did, how did you do that so fast? I'm a professional. I'm a oh. professional. <laughs> Take off to the Great White North. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Anyway, as I recall, this this was a, a skit on uh, with um, Rick Moranis and uh, Dave Thomas uh, on SCTV. They were on in Canada, and uh, the Canadian government told them they needed to include more Canadian content in their show. So they came up with these two sort of stereotypically Canadian guys, eh? And became one of the biggest skits on the show. Then they made their Great White North album. And the rest is history. And I remember getting it out of the library and dubbing it to a cassette so I could listen to it over and over again. I wonder if it's on streaming. Let me see. Great White North. Oh, boy. There's probably going to be a lot, a lot of false hits with this phrase, Great White North. But No, there it is. Oh, wait, we can hear it in, like, better quality? Right? The same thing? Okay, okay, here okay, we go, we right. got it. But, I mean, it was our... Well, the idea of the whole album... Was, you figure then it was, like, free? For him, yeah. Where did they get that black stuff that makes... See, on streaming. From old albums. From old albums. <laughs> yeah. But this is from 1981. And it's on streaming, so you can listen to it. Here's the start of it. This is our album, eh? Are you guys rolling? Okay, well, we may want to leave that in anyway. Okay, uh, good day. And this is our album. Oh, we should even start the album with, like. Wait. Yeah, I hope people don't have a problem with this. They, they're sort of making fun of Canadians. I know today people are so sensitive about everything. Is, it, is this still okay, or has, this, has Bob and Doug McKenzie been canceled? I don't know. A lot of, a lot of things are getting canceled these days. In fact, uh, Dilbert just got canceled. You know that comic strip, Gil, Dil, no, not Gilbert, Dilbert. Dilbert has been canceled, right? Who even knew that Dilbert was still being produced? I mean, I, I remember that from years ago. Apparently it started in 89. It's like this rudimentary cartoon about, or comic strip about uh, a guy working in an office and all of the ridiculousness in the office, right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it, there's a guy named Scott Adams who's the creator of this. He's the cartoonist. 
And um, I don't know. He, he, the, the, what they describe, he went on a racist rant on his video show the other night. And I, d- I did watch it. And without getting into any details, he was, he was uh, certainly being unnecessarily provocative. And he, he knew he was uh, heading towards Cancellationville, I'm sure, with that, uh, with that rant. And um, so I don't know. I mean, he's, I guess he's got to be rich. I mean, Dilbert was sort of – I mean, I guess the newspapers pay you some money, right? Hey, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. Like, how much money do you get for drawing one of those comic strips in the newspaper? Probably a lot. Um, but now Dilbert is going to be considered forbidden. You're not allowed to watch this. Is, did they ever make a cartoon of it? I feel like they may have, but I don't feel like looking it up. Um, so, yeah, apparently some newspapers left a blank space. They're like, Dilbert will no longer be carried in this newspaper. We're going to have a blank space to, to remind you of the problem of racism in our society, you know. So anyway, I mean, I think this is probably like, you know, people that get a taste of fame and attention, like that Marie Kondo. She was famous for like a month back in 2018 or something, right? Can you imagine that like uh, it's got to be annoying that everyone is ignoring you now because they're on to the next thing. So she had to announce that because she has a few kids now, she's giving up on cleaning her house. So she can get in the news again, you know. I was even reading because, you know, we're doing all the Beatles stuff on the Central that uh, John Lennon, I think he was saying that when the Beatles stopped touring, he wanted to get out of the Beatles because he liked performing on stage. That's what, like, it gave his life meaning being on a stage, you know, getting all that attention, right? So I can only imagine that this, this guy who had this, comic strip Dilbert like as time goes on people will lose interest in it I mean it's you know great again the guy's in the office and people are doing shitty things in the office ha ha gee after 10,000 times it's not as funny anymore Scott so you know people you know the guy was famous and then you know uh, people are not paying attention to him so what he is going some sort of racist rant and then he gets in the news again you know I don't know Anyway, Dilbert is canceled. And as far as comic strips go, I, just not, I don't believe that's a great loss, okay? I mean, I've seen the comics. Sometimes people post them online. They're mildly amusing, but I think we can all live without it. Um, and he obviously did it on purpose because without getting into the specifics of what he said, he was quoting some statistics which were without any nuance, just sort of making this um, this asshole kind of What's the right way, what's the right way of saying it? An, like a just an overblown. Some some people described it as hyperbole, yeah, and completely overblown conclusion based on that poll, um, which was uh, you know. But again, I, I, in in this day and age, I think he just sort of maybe he he has a bunch of fu money and he just he just wanted to do it. I mean, the thing is, people, you know, just imagine like. Maybe he's like he he gets a kick out of it. He's like, I wonder what it's like to be canceled. You know, I mean, maybe I should do it. I want to be canceled. You know, it's so many people are getting canceled these days. Maybe it's 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 become like sort of a, you know, like like an obsession. What what is it like? What does it feel like to be canceled? Like, uh, well, he's canceled now. He's done. No more Delbert. Okay. He got what he wanted. 
in a slightly related matter. Uh, as you, you know, I've been a huge fan of the Walt Disney World Resort because it was some of my most foundational life experiences in the 70s and 80s going down to Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And so I knew all about it. I was such a fan of the theme park and of Walt Disney himself. And as the story goes, Walt went down to Florida in the 60s and said he wanted to build this amazing city. He was going to build a city called Epcot, right, the experimental prototype city of tomorrow. And uh, so because he was Walt effing Disney, the government of Florida gave him his own county. It's it's, It's completely unprecedented. No other company got their own governmental area, right, their own county. And it was called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. I know this because I'm a big fan of the theme park. And um, what they did was they uh, they built a little trailer park where like 30 people lived to be the voters of this county. Of course, they were all Disney employees, so they would vote the, the company line no matter what. right? So then they had their own fire codes their own fire department, their own police department, right? And they could, like, set their own laws, basically. Um, Now, obviously, no other company got this. You know, Universal, building Universal Studios, the Wizarding World, all that stuff down there. They they don't have their own county. And Disney got it friggin' uh, 50, uh, 50, 60 years ago because Walt Disney was the man, you know? So, as you may recall... I don't even want to recall this. It's very, very, very annoying. But what was the story in Florida? They're all conservative and they're going to have a new law that was uh, nicknamed the Don't Say Gay Law, right? And, um, you know, it's, again, this is just all the same stuff where you take, I talked about this last time. I don't like talking about this topic because it's, it's a quagmire the more you talk about it, the more you sound bad. Like, I'll sound bad talking about this. But what we see in the media is, right, an endless stream of stories about this extreme woke uh, philosophies out there. And every story is more outrageous than the next. And it's supposed to make you feel angry. And who are these people? You know, I think these stories are designed to provoke a reaction and um all i all i want to say is anytime this is my theory anytime there you you see a story in the news that makes you angry and it makes you feel like you want to look down on another group of people feel feel badly about another group of people hate another group of people right i want you to understand something this is my theory that it's the story is actually targeting you, right? I think that the ruling elite of this planet, they have some kind of rule, which is that in order to um, mistreat someone, you have to make them mistreat someone else, right? In order to hate someone, you have to make sure they hate someone else, right? The idea is that they can't just victimize the planet. They have to like make sure that the people they're victimizing are themselves victimizing other people. It's like this fractal, as above, so below kind of thing. So when you read a story like that, you can react by hating, and then you're now, it's now justified to hate you. All these stories are targeting you, right? If you can possibly, at some level, 
read the story and like, wow, that's annoying. But that does not affect my core values, my core ideals, which are that, right? For example, my core ideals, I would love to love and be kind, love everyone in the world, be kind to everyone in the world, be fair to everyone in the world. And I want everyone in the world, every, everyone, even the so-called bad people, to have a to have a nice day, to have a satisfying life, and to have a good experience, right? Not that I, and again, I hate talk. This is not a. This is again. It's a, it's like a quagmire. It's like it's whenever you start talking about this, it, it gets worse and worse. But I'm trying to say, right? These stories are designed to. Uh, invite you to indulge in bullying or hatred. And if you do, then it's justified to bully and hate you. You see what I'm saying? Anyway, let's stop with this topic. Let me get off my soapbox, okay? I'm up on a soapbox. All right? So anyway, the don't say gay law, which had something to do with, like, don't teach sex ed to kindergartners. Like, what? Were people even doing that? I don't know. But anyway, Disney... Uh, I, I'm just paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly, but apparently the Walt Disney Company stayed neutral on the topic, right? Probably a good idea because they produce children's entertainment, and this is about teaching children about sex. And listen, whatever you want to say about it, it's probably better if you make cartoons for kids. Just don't even say anything about it. Just stay out of it. But their employees pressured them to take a stance, and so they came out against the governor, what is his name, DeSantis, this guy. This guy is, is becoming the new, like, toxic political celebrity of the age, right? They came out against it, and uh, they, they were denouncing the law and this and that. And So what happened was this Reedy Creek Improvement District, as you might imagine, is this sweetheart deal that was made 50 or 60 years ago with Walt Disney himself. Um. So the governor, in retribution against the Disney company for uh, opposing his beloved Don't Say Gay bill, he set in motion uh, to dissolve this. And I don't think anyone could really defend Disney. They, they were basically, they had this sweetheart deal that was like grandfathered in from 60 years ago, right? And then, and then they go stepping into this political nightmare so uh, I, I've been hearing about this for a while, but just on Monday, yesterday, in fact, um, the Reedy Creek Improvement District was dissolved. It no longer exists. And in its current, it is now called the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. And uh, the governor appointed his, you know, uh, a board of his own cronies to run, the, to run it. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, this, that's what happened. So just to, for me, it's kind of like my own fandom of the of Disney World and always knowing about the Reedy. So Reedy Creek Improvement District was dissolved yesterday. It's kind of sad, but you know, I don't know what they expected. I mean, it's I mean, it's kind of like you know, blatant revenge, retribution, uh. And everyone sort of accepts that, like, the, a governor can do that. It's real, all really creepy. Yeah. This DeSantis guy. Anyway. Goodbye, Reedy Creek Improvement District. Hopefully it was improved somewhat in the, in the 60 years. It was in, in existence. I don't know.
Anyway, today's episode is called Witch of Some Motors, and uh, this is a wild show art. This is uh, just sort of an example, again, of just sort of doing design explorations and see where it goes. So you can see this kind of pattern. Almost looks like a labyrinth, but it's not. Um, in sort of a golden color. And underneath it, it says, Witch of Some Motors and the Overnightscape. That font is called, what is it called? <laughs> it's this very obscure font, HFF Low Sun, the name of that font. It's kind of a mid-century uh, casual script. And uh, so I've been really fascinated with... Um, Heptagons, you know, seven-sided regular polygons. It's like an octagon, but with one less side. And when you connect them, the way that they connect is really weird because sometimes when you make a, a trail of them where you're connecting them by their sides, they will reconnect and sometimes they don't. And remember I had that um, making a spiral out of them. I made that weird monolith-looking shape that I've used in the past. But in this case, it was just me playing around and producing this pattern, which was actually pretty cool. Um, and then over, and then behind it, I put uh, an image of the sky I took of like a suns weird sunset and colorized it to make it more yellowish. Um, so it's all very random. But w which of some motors, the phrase, I really like that phrase, it, it's from a, a momentary misreading of a Magic the Gathering card, which was a Witch of the Moors, M-O-O-R-S. Um, and it, it, for a moment, I saw Witch of Motors. I'm like, what? That's cool. Like a witch, but she works on motors. And, and, I, and I change it to some motors, Witch of some motors. But that's not, that has a great sound to it, doesn't it? Witch of some motors. Uh, what does it mean? I don't know. A witch of some motors. I don't know what it means. It just sounds good. And along with that, uh, it, 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 that graphic, it almost looks sort of like a, like a brain or some other. It's just wild. And the shapes, like the, the negative shapes in there are really cool. And it's all related to the heptagonal uh, designs. So I like it. <laughs> it's Witch of Some Motors, today's episode. I think it's episode 19. Yes, ni episode 1994. Yes. I hope you dig it too. Anyways, with that, I'd like to say thank you for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, and we're here in The Overnightscape Underground, a radio station inside a book. Just go to onsug.com. Onsug is short for The Overnightscape Underground. It's O-N-S-U-G dot C-O-M. And you get to our website and uh, find all of our latest shows. And on the sidebar there, you'll see Onsug Radio. This is where you can hear all of our shows, over 10,000 episodes, over 13,000 hours. It's all non-commercial, as I mentioned. We have a unique style, and we're very focused on people listening in the near and far future as kind of a message in the bottle from this very interesting period of history to the people in the future and possibly the people of the multiverse as well or the other parallel worlds that ex that may exist any 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 anyone any like non-humans listening like any like gods or angels listening to this show 
They're not allowed to talk to us because we're in like a, an information blackout zone known as Earth. But that's all another topic. And then you'll see a picture of the book. You can buy a copy of the book. I have a copy right here. It's the 2021 edition of the book called The Onsug, 700 pages. And you can buy a copy. It's print on demand. I don't make any money on it because we do have a non-commercial project here. I don't want to make any money on it because that would go against our, our non-commercial concept. Um, you can also download a PDF of the of exactly of the book as it was printed along with the digital extension. Also, every month I update it to include all the latest shows. So, um, and as I've been talking about, as a new edition coming out this year and the new cover I think is going to just be great. I'm so excited about the new cover, the new directions I've taken it, and I think it's going to be a great new edition of the book that will be coming out this summer or so as another print-on-demand book. Anyway, uh, check it out. You can get involved. Um, there's a show each week called Overnightscape Central, and uh, this is a new, the new topic put out each week by PQ River in Truth or Consequences, New, Me- new Mexico. Yes, you're invited to speak in audio, or you can just send an email and he'll read it. What do you have to say about the topic? We're currently in the middle of a Beatles uh, session a Beatles phenomenon, an extravaganza. Each week we're reviewing another Beatles album. We're going through all their albums in order. So this week will be um, Rubber Soul, a a new era for the Beatles. And so if you have anything to say about the Beatles or anything else, just check out Overnightscape Central. And uh, PQ is very easy to to talk to. You can email him and ask him questions. And he's at uh, KP qr.torc at gmail.com and I'm at frank at the overnightscape.com if you want to email me and uh, yeah we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear from you on the central and this Beatles thing has just been great I mean as I am a huge Beatles fan it's been a joy going through these albums and uh, yes anyways that's the story and now it's time for another edition of, yes, the uh, the thing I've been talking about, the audio conglomeration, the c- collection that's always the same and always different. I feel like the tone stays relatively similar, but it's always different. And since I've been doing this for 10 years, twice a week for 10 years, if it still gives me a thrill, it should give you a thrill. Indeed, this is... The other side.
This is a story of bad credit. We have about 30 days left in the bank, and then we're broke. Deep questions. How are your morals tonight? Sort of weak. Good karma. In Chinese, the word for crisis is the same as the word for opportunity. Horrible advice. Say it. Well, you look like the owner of a Del Taco franchise. And profound spiritual discovery. Sarah, I can't feel anything. Peter Weller. It's just my inner child showing through. Judy Davis. Why don't you get in touch with your inner adult? In a sexy. Wouldn't you love us both? I can play this game. Compelling. What are you doing? Following my bliss. Utterly bankrupt. It's going to be the usual art and spirituality and S&M crowd. New film from Michael Tolkien. Do you have a boyfriend? I have a fiance. Oh, isn't that romantic? The creator of the player. I know I'm sick. I know I got problems. I know I worry about looking cool, but you worry about looking cool too, and I don't tell me you don't. I know. But I'm working on it. The new age. Can you feel it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. So is that Petro Motion making a genius move? You know, coming up, we have videos from Eklund, the Buddyman, and the Cure. But first, here's Dave with some more record reviews. Thank you, Kevin. Do you remember Anne Magnuson from Vulcan Death Grip? Here she is in a combo called Bong Water, and Breaking No New Ground is a left-of-center performance art album. Jerry Harrison's Casual Gods doesn't break too much new ground either. The first solo LP by the Talking Heads guitarist and keyboard player contains references to most of the Talking Heads' back catalogue, as well as the harder funk sound of Heads' spin-off band, the Tom Tom Club. It's taken a year and a half to get Hope in a Darkened Heart released in America. Virginia Astley plays sensitive English choir girl to Ryuichi Sakamoto's cold atmospherics. It's a great party record, I tell ya. Tim Byrne sounds sizzling in comparison. His sanctified dreams features warm, pulsating jazz with a saxophone in heat. On the 120-minute horizon, we have videos from Flesh for Lulu and The Cure and the Angry Samoans. And right after the break, it's Echo and the Bunnymen with Lips Like Sugar. Cake supreme 
stationary bliss Snuggled up with a hot chocolate swiss Puckered up for a merengue kiss Candy juices explode from a pineapple slice The crunch and crunch of mango shaped ice Ripe kumquats and honey wine Peaches making sugar out of the Cappuccino ice cream And now, I would like to introduce the amazing little Frankie Nora. Mommy win for you in the machine. Like what? Like hot dogs? Hamburgers? Little water gun? Tiny monkey? Lots of nice things, huh? Little car? And do we see lots of dogs? Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-
I'm Jerry Baker, and I'd like to introduce you to the Garden Weasel. It's a revolutionary new five-in-one tool that makes gardening fun and easy. The Garden Weasel's three rotary blades mesh with a scissor action to break up topsoil, and they uproot young weeds before they get a start, then mixes the weeds and the leaves into soil, and that's a mulch, and that's beneficial to your garden. The Weasel cultivates to a uniform two-inch depth, protecting your plant's roots. Now you remove the center blade for cultivating around seedling rows and young bedding plants and vegetables. Use one blade for those hard-to-reach areas. Insert the short handle, and the weasel is perfect for plant boxes and greenhouses. The garden weasel is made of a rust-free alloy and is virtually self-cleaning. You simply hose it off and allow it to dry. If you have a friend who is into gardening like I am, the garden weasel makes a perfect gift. Look for this display. Garden weasel is a multi-purpose tool that makes gardening easier and more fun. At Walgreens, Oscoda, Coven, and Robity Drugs, a perfect gift for any friend who's into gardening.
at News Weasels, we change the channel so you don't have to. News Weasels, Saturday at 8.30 Eastern and Pacific, only on E. Of that legendary library, all that survives is this dank and forgotten cellar. It's in the library annex, the Serapeum, which was once a temple, but was later reconsecrated to knowledge. These few moldering shelves, probably once in a basement storage room, are its only physical remains. But this place was once the brain and glory of the greatest city on the planet Earth. If I could travel back into time, this is the place I would visit. The Library of Alexandria at its height 2,000 years ago. Here, in an important sense, began the intellectual adventure which has led us into space. All the knowledge in the ancient world was once within these marble walls. In the Great Hall, there may have been a mural of Alexander with the crook and flail and ceremonial headdress of the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. This library was a citadel of human consciousness, a beacon on our journey to the stars. It was the first true research institute in the history of the world. And what did they study? They studied everything, the entire cosmos. Cosmos is a Greek word for the order of the universe. In a way, it's the opposite of chaos. It implies a deep interconnectedness of all things, uh, the intricate and subtle way that the universe is put together. Genius flourished here. In addition to Eratosthenes, there was the astronomer Hipparchus who mapped the constellations and established the brightness of the stars. And there was Euclid who brilliantly systematized geometry, who told his king, who was struggling with some difficult problem in mathematics, that there was no royal road to geometry. There was Dionysius of Thrace, the man who defined the parts of speech, nouns, verbs, so on who did for language, in a way, what Euclid did for geometry. There was Herophilus, a physiologist who identified the brain rather than the heart as the seat of intelligence. There was Archimedes, the greatest mechanical genius until the time of Leonardo da Vinci. And there was the astronomer Ptolemy, who compiled much of what today is the pseudoscience of astrology, his Earth-centered universe held sway for 1,500 years, showing that intellectual brilliance is no guarantee against being dead wrong. And among these great men, there was also a great woman. Her name was Hypatia. She was a mathematician and, a, and an astronomer, the last light of the library, whose martyrdom is bound up with 
the destruction of this place seven centuries after it was founded. Up here I am, up here in this here teepee canoe. I have a few thousand things in my feathered brain to tell you about Walt Disney's enchanted tiki room. First of all, right here below me, like underneath, wake up down there. Right here below me is the magic garden. This is where you can sit down on your tail feathers and rest the rest of you. And then you go inside, see, inside to Walt Disney's enchanted tiki room. It is the most amazing show in Disneyland. It is 17 minutes in all. The birds tell jokes, the flowers sing, the tiki's chant, and my cousin Jose, he whistles and he croons me, my love. <laughs> oh, excuse me, sir. Quickly, quickly, take your time and hurry. Get your tickets to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. And it is air conditioned. Oh, excuse me. I am allergic to feathers. Get your tickets to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Caramba, it is so exciting I forget how to talk. If you think that is easy, you should try it. Amigos, amigos down there, it is me up here. Amigos, Romans, and Disneylanders. Stop walking while I'm squawking. Caramba, we have something really big for you today. It is the world premiere of Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. It is fun. It is Disney entertainment at its most exciting best kind. It is on the inside, not the outside. That would be silly. In the Enchanted Tiki Room, you sit down on your feather dusters. Inside an air-conditioned theater, you watch more than 200 flowers, tikis, and all my relations. Those amazing birds, they come to life before your eyes. They talk, they whistle, they tell jokes, they sing. Memories, memories. What did you expect, the Vienna Boys Choir? If you think I have talent, wait till you see what's inside the tiki room. For 17 minutes, no one takes a siesta, especially the audience. You have to see it to believe it, and then you will not believe it. Wait till you hear the tikis do a Hawaiian war chant. See, that is what everyone is saying about Walt Disney's enchanted tiki room. You wait for the show right here below me, in the magic garden, where the gods and goddesses perform. 
and then, I said, and then you travel inside for the biggest show in Disneyland. Get your passports, I mean, get your tickets right over here for Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. This has been a recording. I do many impressions. I don't want to set the world on fire. But I think this kid behind me is carrying a big torch for somebody. Back to business. Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. The show starts in just a few minutes. Step right over here and get your tickets. John Ryder was born in Manchester in 1962 and described himself as a proper little artful dodger at school. The band, which was to become Happy Mondays, was formed in 1979 and by 1990 had released their third and most acclaimed album, Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches. While recording their last album in the Bahamas, Sean's drug habit got out of hand. He was reportedly smoking 25 rocks of crack a day. The Happy Mondays broke up, and Sean, at 30, is now trying to kick drugs with the help of Ariel, his girlfriend. Once upon a time, there was two balloons called Jock and Yono. They were strictly in love, bound to happen in a million years. They were together, man. Unfortunate timetable, they both seem to have previous experience, which kept calling them one way or another. You know how it is. But they battled on against overwhelming oddities, including oh, some of their beast friends. Being in love, they clung even more together, man, but some of the poisonous monster of outrated busload of clip flowers did stick slightly, and they occasionally had to resort to the dry cleaners. Luckily, this did not kill them, and they weren't banned from the Olympic Games. They lived hopefully ever after, and who could blame them? That was Galliano a little bit earlier in the festival, complete with Pet Dragon weaving its way through the crowd. Now, the Glastonbury hairdo has to be long matted dreadlocks, but Mark here is sporting a different option. This We're talking the molded plastic this is hair. The practical, the practical it option. It is the practical option. Now, Mark, I understood that you weren't coming to the festival this year. What well, gives? See, last year I said, why would you go to a festival if you could stay at home and watch a cinema? Well, the point is, this year, Portishead, they made a film, they sent the film to the festival, then they came to the festival to watch the film they made but, play but, in a field. But, and, and no, the they, field no, they came the, to the, the festival the came and went, then the band no. went to the, the thing with the no. I think the band came Chegou o novo Danap Sabor a Popcorn Nunca viste Ganda Film Novo Danap Sabor a Popcorn e Sabor a Cappuccino Irresistíveis Provam já antes que acabem This is HBO The following feature has been rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences and parental discretion is advised. Home box office will show this feature only at night.